Welcome to VMware's Multi-Cloud Podcast. My name is Eric Nelson, and with me today, I have my co-host, David Jasso. On the podcast today, we are covering VMware's cloud reference architectures, and with us is Martin Hoskin and John Moroni. Martin is Chief Technologist, VMware Cloud Services, and John is VMware's Multi-Cloud Solution Architecture. But before we get started there, David, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Eric. Fantastic, fantastic. So uh, another exciting podcast today. We know we've had a series of them and we're lucky to have both Martin and John here. So David, why don't you kick us off? Hey, Martin uh, and John, hey, it's great to talk to you guys again. I know we talked a lot during the, during the weeks and uh, chatted quite a bit before VMworld. Hey, but uh, it'd be great if you guys could just introduce yourself and spend some time telling us you know, who you are, where you came from, what you're doing now. And then we'll get into the topic of talking about reference architectures. But, uh, but first, let's just uh, give the audience uh, a view of who you guys are. Okay, I'll kick things off then. Thanks, David. So I'm Martin Hoskin. I'm based in the UK. I'm VMware's Chief Technologist for Cloud Services. So I've been at VMware around six years, but this is still a fairly new role for me since earlier this year. And my role basically encompasses all of our, our cloud provider partners, our own VMware Cloud and AWS, and also now the new hyperscale um, uh, solutions that our partners are bringing to, mo to market, like Azure VMware Solutions, Google Cloud VMware Engine, Oracle Cloud, VM Oracle Cloud VMware Solution, and Alibaba Cloud VMware Solution. So really quite a wide role there, and uh, it's getting wider by the day. All right. Uh, thank you, Martin. Thank you, David. Happy to be here. Uh, so my name is John Maroney. I uh, am based in Cincinnati, Ohio. I've been at VMware uh, coming up on two years now. Uh, first half of my time here, I spent focused uh, primarily on the uh, partner community around VMware Cloud partners, as uh, Martin mentioned as well, um, driving activation and enablement across across that community. Uh, much like Martin, I'm aligned now with the uh, multi-cloud side uh, of our business, where uh, we're focusing on our solution, VMware Cloud and AWS, uh, the cloud provider partner community, as well as the hyperscaler solutions, as, as Martin mentioned. Um, so my team specifically is engaged in the early stage pre-sales process. Uh, we, we try to help our customers navigate these complex um, conversations around cloud adoption, uh, you know, whether with a single solution or across multiple providers, um, and really try to help drive clarity into the strategy, um, you know, action into their execution and help guide them along their, their journey when they're looking to uh, continue their use of VMware Cloud Services. Cool, guys. Hey, uh, we're going to talk about what VMware is doing around reference architecture, but maybe we could just start by talking about what is a reference architecture? Why do they create, why do people create them and sort of what, what people are trying to do with them? Yeah, thanks, David. So for me, a reference architecture is really, you know, the, the aim is, to, is, is to, to, to give to our customers an idea of what is good practice. What, is, what are other customers doing? What has been successful for other customers? And building, and building an architecture full of, of solutions that are configured, maintained, and operated in a way that makes them easy to consume for all of our customers. So it's really, it's really about bringing things together. VMware sells a lot of products now. The vast majority of those products operate together. But actually building a complex architecture that maybe has server infrastructure, 
desktop infrastructure? Could we need these infrastructure? That's not something we can do easily for most people, not something that most organizations can do easily. So we aim to help them by building out some reference architectures that are really designed to be starting points. And they can then actually give customers an idea of which way to go when they're building out and configuring these, these complex environments that we're building today. So, so Martin, yeah. I have, I have a, a, a question in, around this. Like, is it because it's technically challenging, it's particularly hard to do? Or is it just because for me, there's just so many options and so many new technologies that fold into this, just, just learning all the technologies that operate my own data center, then throw in a big cloud provider and all of their you know, services, and then understanding which ones to use and which ones not. For me, as an IT administrator for many years, it would seem almost overwhelming the number of pieces of technology I would need to learn in order to build a good architecture. So is it because it's challenging or is it just because the volume of things you need to know that our refer reference architectures apply? Well, hopefully it's not because it's too challenging, but integrating products together, whether they're VMware products or they're ISV products, that's you know always going to have additional challenges involved in it. So I like to think of it, and sometimes I use the analogy of building a car. You know, for many, many years, VMware has provided you lots of bits. But building a car and operating a car requires more than just an engine, a battery, and tires, you know, all piled up in a, you know, on a pile in your driveway. You have to put things together in a way that makes them optimal, that they run in a way that, you know, is safe, and they run in a way that actually gets you where you need to go. And that's the way I think of, of building an architecture. Many of our customers now are building incredibly complicated environments with, with different locations, hosting environments, you know, on-premise data centers, public clouds. They might be using lots of different application frameworks, you know, Node.js, um, .NET, et cetera. It might be the Wild West from, from an application building perspective. And they have to build an infrastructure that can support all of these diverse elements. And that is challenging. And you know, we're seeing more, more and more customers deploying Kubernetes on, on VMware and that type of infrastructure, deploying desktops, deploying you know, um, appliances like firewalls and, and load balancers as well. So when the whole world becomes virtual, getting everything to integrate and work together I'm not, I don't think it's difficult, but a lot of our customers and a lot of organizations do need additional guidance to bring all of these different things together. Yeah, and maybe, maybe to add on a few things to, to Martin's statement there and, and, and extend the analogy about, about building a car. Um, it, it's, it's complex and there's a lot of options, right? I don't think there's been a time in technology where there's more ways to do one thing, right? And, and part of the part of what we're trying to help customers do with these reference architectures is just get started, right? Figure out what is step one, what's step two, and really kind of help them along that path through solution ideas, best practices, and uh, recommended topologies that, that meet their needs based on customer examples and real world scenarios that we've experienced in, in the field, um, right? So we're, we're, we're trying to help, help customers and the community have a, a, a very kind of robust and meaningful starting point, right? Provide some suggestions and propose paths forward uh, for them to, to execute on whatever um, they're, they're trying to do. Are we considered a neutral partner in the land of, you know, 
doing reference architectures. One of the things that I worry about is when I'm building my architecture, if I'm picking a cloud provider and I'm, and I'm looking at, you know, what the cloud provider recommends, possibly they're pinning me to some of the stuff that will make it sticky for me to stay with a particular cloud provider. I'm wondering if like VMware is considered a, a bit more neutral in this space. So I think that's absolutely true. I think, well, VMware's overall cloud strategy is to be neutral across all public clouds and provide a consistent platform across on-premise, public cloud, edge, et cetera. So I think very much we want to be that neutral player. We want to give customers choice, freedom, and control over their workloads to move them into the into the um, you know the location or the, or the public cloud or, or wherever, wherever wherever that may be in order to optimize the, the application delivery to the end business. So I think we're trying to bring all of these things together. I think we're, we're doing a pretty good job as well at the moment after, you know, after developing these partnerships with all of these different public clouds, you know, Microsoft, Google, Ali Cloud, and Oracle Cloud, as well as our own offering uh, VMware Cloud and AWS. So we're in, mar in market across all of these public clouds in order to give customers freedom and choice. And I think, and that's, I think that's key there. Great, great, Martin. Hey, uh, John, question for you, and maybe Martin, you can follow on. Um, you know, reference architectures, I've seen a lot of the work that uh, your, you guys do and others do that sort of exist at multiple levels. We've got some, you know, very high level conceptual, what are your options around clouds and how do those things work? And then getting into very specifics around how do you do like a specific, um, let's say an API gateway or something that, that runs across Amazon and, and VMware. Can you talk a little bit about sort of the different levels that these reference architectures exist at? Yeah, certainly. Um, so, you know, back back to the, the previous conversation, right? We're we're trying to provide uh, a a getting started point, right? Uh, a quick start of sorts in a lot of these reference ar reference architectures, right? So, they they range from getting started with VMware Cloud and AWS to uh, in integrating um, with their SSL VPN services to their file services, uh, database services, right? From your VMware Cloud and AWS SDBC. So the, the idea here is to start with, you know, really fundamental um, and straightforward topics of initial deployment, initial configuration, uh, and then gradually um, get a bit deeper and more specific with the consumption and integration of native services um, that one customer could consume from their SDBC. Uh, so we've, we've built some of these in, you know, multi-site HCX, um, there's the mobility uh, reference architectures. There's availability zone specific ones. Um, and we're really trying to cover the breadth of what a customer would experience in their day-to-day -day, uh, IT management efforts, right? So we're trying not to only look at it from the point of adoption, but also from expansion, from day two operations, um, and, and really kind of follow the life cycle of any, any customer solution uh, from end to end, so we can continue to provide guidance, best practices, and and help help them navigate. You know, not just the consumption of, you know, the core SDBC components, but if there's value in them consuming native cloud services, we want to be able to speak and show those uh, integrations and the decisions you have to make to consume them. Well, cool. Martin, any thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I 100% I agree with, with John there. We, 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 um, 
you know, every customer is at a different point in their journey to cloud. We want to assist as much as possible in, in that journey. And once they're consuming their, their infrastructure as cloud, whether that's on-premise or running VMware on, on a public cloud adjacent to native public cloud services, we want to be able to help them take advantage of of, of these, this flexibility. And if you're, if, you're, if you're running VMware workloads on AWS Metal, you want to be able to take advantage of native AWS services like S3, EC2, um, and, and, other, and others, RDS as well, maybe, just so you can maximize the business benefit of bringing those applications to public cloud. Uh, customers have different viewpoints on this. Some customers are consuming these services just because they want to consume VMware in public cloud. Other customers are consuming them because they want to expand applications into public cloud and have the ben benefits of both worlds, the advantages and of, of both a, a vSphere platform alongside the public cloud platform. Your, your discussion around, um, you know, AWS and both you and John talking about consuming uh, native cloud services brings up an interesting question in my mind, which is how would some of the reference architectures that VMware produces differ than something, say, Azure or AWS would, would put out? So I think the key difference is, is the level we operate at. Um, from an AWS or Azure perspective, most of their reference architectures are all about application delivery. Um, we are focusing on infrastructure delivery at this stage and, and what we're doing at the moment. So how do you actually build an application that goes across both of those infrastructures? How do you achieve connectivity? How do you could take advantage of these common SDKs across public clouds? How do you leverage those native services? So if you look at, you know, a well, you know, from AWS, they have a concept called well-architected, which is gives examples to developers of how to build an application leveraging their services. And as Eric mentioned earlier on, you know, many of those well-architected are all about building applications that really deeply integrate you into public cloud. And if you wanted to move that application somewhere else, it's a, a huge level of effort, a huge risk, et cetera. But with the VMware model, again, back to that flexibility and choice, if you're building that application on a VMware platform, it gives you the control about where you want it to reside long-term, short-term, scale to, whatever the strategy is, whether it's tactical or strategic, you've just got a lot of choice and flexibility. Yeah, there's, there's, there's one thing I'd like to add there. And, and oh. by no means am I an expert on, you know, what AWS or Azure or Google are doing relative to... Uh, a, a similar sort of reference architecture. But from what I've seen and what I've noticed is that, that a lot of the focus and the crux of what they're trying to communicate and show is grounded really in consuming native cloud services first and then kind of expanding outward towards, um, you know, adjacent services or on-premises infrastructure or applications. Where, where we're trying to look at this a bit differently and say, you know, we're, we're trying to, you know, one, meet the customers where they are, right? And a lot of our customers um, are going through on-prem modernization efforts or a move to cloud. Some are already there. Some are in the middle of it. So we, we, we want to look at these from the perspective of, you know, how, how, do, we, how do we make these impactful and meaningful for, for the audience and our customers, um, regardless of where they are in their cloud strategy? So if they're just deploying it, um, you know, we, we want to have a reference architecture that speaks to what is, you know, probably on-prem for them, what that's going to look like to connect into a VMware solution within a public cloud. And then subsequently, if they consume native services, what does that additional step look like? So, so I think maybe one of the big differences that I've observed 
is just the angle and the starting point from which we build these, right? We're looking at it from the customer's premises and infrastructure um, to the cloud, where if you look at a lot of the hyperscalers, they're really doing it from an assumption that the customer is going to deploy all these things in the cloud. And then at some point, they'll worry about on-prem. And, and we, 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 we view that differently. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point you both hit on, which is I think when I look at some of the work, that, you know, the architectures that Azure or Amazon, Azure or Amazon does, it's very specific to how do you deploy on their environment only, whereas we're always thinking about that interconnection between, you know, something that's running on an SDDC on premise as well as then running in the cloud and then accessing those uh, additional services. So I think that's a great point. Um, Eric, I'm thinking we want to switch and get into some of the specifics around uh, the kinds of resources that VMware has uh, created. But any any questions for, you know we want to ask on the, on sort of this more general topic of reference architectures? No, I think most people understand what reference architectures are, and the key value points for VMware's reference architectures are just for me the neutrality and um, and then the you know sh shortcutting the amount of learning you have to do in order to feel confident that what you're proposing is going to is going to work in a data center. So, uh, and I think we've covered that pretty well. So let's move on to some of the uh, reference architectures that you guys have worked on. John, you were you already started to talk a bit about. Um, you know, some of the reference architectures, but maybe you can kind of talk, walk us through and, and get into some depth on the, some of the ones we've done specifically for AWS, which is sort of first out of the gate. Yeah, sure. So um, maybe starting with the getting started on or getting started with BMC on AWS. So this, this was kind of the initial one and really, again, that, that foundational view of, um, you know, deployment guidance and, and best practices for um, consuming VMC and AWS, right? Details of on-prem to VMC connectivity, um, SDDC networking constructs, um, you know, compute management gateway differentiation, required firewall rules, ports and protocols to be aware of, uh, how to consume security groups and, you know, other native services like S3 um, as part of that initial consumption, right? But, you know, that, that one really focuses on customers new to VMC and AWS uh, really get in, into connectivity. Um, what does the networking look like within the SDDC? Um, and, and just general connectivity um, decisions, discussions, best practices and guidance um, around what one customer, or around what a customer could expect when they start to use the solution um, for the first time. So there's, there's a few highlights in there. Um, as you'll see, um, I'm sure there'll be a link to the reference architecture page. You, you'll see specific uh, highlighted points in there that we um, try to add some context to. Um, so deployment of the directory service, um, configuring, the, configuring the compute gateways, um, and then security groups, right, as an example. Uh, but this, this is kind of the level that that initial one stays at, right? It's very introductory, very foundational. Um, and then there's other ones, uh, much like the HCX uh, multi-site connectivity, uh, where it gets a bit into workload mobility. Um, it starts to detail architectural decisions around multiple on-prem data centers and how you would connect to your VMC SDDC for the purposes of uh, migrating workloads in. All right, so this gets a bit deeper into um, the networking constructs and the connectivity practices. Um, it gets into SDDC communications and integration again with AWS. Um, 
and really just what's required when you're going to uh, start to configure your on-prem environment and your VM or SDDC to facilitate the the moving of workloads from source to target. Uh, so that's you know maybe a, a a more detailed reference architecture that we have that again builds on the idea that the initial deployments happen. There's some familiarity with VMC um, at the moment. There's a general understanding of network connectivity and how networking happens uh, at the VM layer within the solution. Yeah, I think there's a, a lot of focus uh, in on, um, you know, networking in particular seems to be a very strong focus across uh, across these reference architectures. How do you how do you set that up in a way that sort of really optimizes that multi cloud experience? Yeah, I mean that that's that's traditionally the hardest part, right? And where a lot of the effort goes in deployments and specifically in in you know the migration of workloads. Um, so all all these have a particular slant towards highlighting some of the more um, more impactful networking decisions from a configuration perspective, um, as well as design best practices for connectivity from on-prem to to the cloud. Martin, uh, you've um, you've done a couple of really you know comprehensive guides in you know sort of everything from reference architectures, deployment architectures, and configuration guides. Uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about you know one that came out earlier this year, which was a sort of a revision to an existing one, which is called VCAT five. And uh, like love to hear you talk about it from a couple of different angles, what it was in, in its totality. But you and I have spent quite a bit of time also talking about the idea that it's really a great guide for private cloud if you strip out some of the things that are specific to managed service providers. Yeah, no, I think um, one of the things we have to remember is that managed service providers, cloud providers, run some of the biggest, most complicated environments that any of our, our VMware end customers do, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of workloads. So VCAT or VMware um, Architectural Toolkit, that's been around for a while. It's been, I think, been around for four or five years, at least, if not longer. Um, but the aim of the new release was to really bring the latest concepts and latest designs to, to our cloud providers. And as you say, David, you know, many of our enterprise customers like to operate as cloud providers and build infrastructure in a very similar way so they can, they can service different lines of business, different business units, and, and, and effectively cross-charge or, 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 or do show-back charging or, or whatever it might be. So, it, yeah, absolutely relevant to enterprise customers, but it's all about scale, with, 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 with this type of model. And VCAT really tries to address that scale, building a, a pod architecture that's effectively like building blocks and allows you to deploy you know, thousands of workloads for customers. As more and more customers migrate onto that platform, you can, you can architect it in a way that you're just adding scalable pods, you're extending your switch infrastructure, you're doing things in a very, very standard way. And that's, that's the aim of VCAT. And, and the new version as well focuses down on something, what we, something that we call cloud provider platform. So this is a defined, predefined architecture that our cloud providers, or again, you know, enterprises who want to operate like a cloud provider to, 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 you know, to, um, to deliver services internally, allows them to bring, bring a standard architecture, like a reference architecture, but maybe a little bit more flexibility because you know, when it comes to cloud providers, it, it's really about differentiation. You know, many of our cloud providers offer really key differentiated, sorry, differentiated services to specific verticals like financial services, retail, healthcare. 
and then having a bit of flexibility about how they build and design that infrastructure so it really aligns with the requirements for those verticals is really key. So BCAD is more of a design guide than a reference architecture, I guess, but it, the, you know, the end result is you know, to build a solution that is highly scalable and aligns with a sort of end customer requirement. So, so Martin, this strikes me, especially cloud service providers, where it's a pretty complex deployment, as you say. Um, how much of this is the reference architectures are kind of like a guide, but do we back that up with uh, professional services? Do we kind of have training for these things? How is the operation mode of consuming these things and actually using them? Uh, a lot of times I used to, you know, there would be a reference architecture, but then it came with, I would hire a professional service to come in, who these are people that have done this, this reference architecture six other times at other companies, so they could help me get a, a you know, move forward quicker. How much of that is you know VMware's practice right now do we do that kind of stuff as well yeah no absolutely and 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 you're absolutely right you know a cloud provider's environment and designing for a cloud cloud provider environment is a fairly unique thing of course there's lots of commonality between you know a cloud provider and an enterprise environment as we've said but and you know the the skills that it takes to do you know a deep technical physical design for a cloud provider environment the networking skills, the storage skills, the compute, the application level skills, the services to build, you know, build services on top of that, the, the billing mechanisms, the integration with backup solutions, the integration with you know, S, um, say object storage type solutions, et cetera, et cetera. That's really complicated. And VMware absolutely are able to provide professional services around this. We have um, you know, multiple teams who have got a lot of experience in building these types of environments globally. They're typically, you know, very sought after projects actually by our, by our professional services because they are the most interesting projects available to, to, for, for these guys to work on and these guys and girls to work on. So they're, they're often very sought after within the teams to do them. They're, they're large scale. They require a lot of detail, a lot of complexity and requirement gathering from both the provider and the customers. So, and um, yeah, VMware Professional Services can absolutely assist you know, our customers to do that. We also have a lot of education courses around this. So at the heart of the cloud provider platform is our cloud director service and all cloud director running on premise. And this is, um, this is v, v Cloud Director. It's been renamed cloud director now, as some of you may know, but um, you know, that, that's at the heart of this solution and that's available to cloud providers and enterprises as well under, under certain circumstances. So, Building, building an infrastructure like this does require skills, professional services. We have an education team and some training courses on Cloud Director. That's been updated yeah. literally right, right at the moment. It's been updated. I'm, I'm involved in those updates. So um, lots of help out there for, for providers and I enterprises who want to build like this. I could actually see where you would actually even have an audit service that, you know, I'm using a reference architecture, I've implemented it, and mm. I make some changes because reference is just what it means, reference. But then I'd actually like to have somebody come in and kind of look at it and say, okay, before we deploy, before we go, you know, please come in and audit my probability of success because yeah. there's just this management of risk that's also a big part of this equation, right? Yeah, and we absolutely have that. We call it VMware Verified Cloud. So we, you know, we are able to effectively give a badge to a cloud provider that they can use on their marketing and on, on you know, across the industry that verifies that this platform has been checked 
by VMware and meets all the requirements from a you know, scalability perspective, from an availability perspective, performance perspective. So we put, that, we put that badge on there. I think there's around 300 cloud verified cloud providers globally at the moment. So it's something that's been around about two years, maybe three years now. And it's very, very popular. If you, know, if you name some of the big cloud providers out there, I won't name them on this, on, on this, uh, on this discussion, but if you look at them, the vast majority of them have the VMware cloud verified badge. I just want yeah. to say, I didn't know that before I asked that question. That sounds like a marketing opportunity where I just throw that across the plate for you to hit out of the park. But I did not know that. So that's, that's good to know. And I would think that that would be the case. And I'm just thinking from my own, I've ran a data center at some point in my career. I re- operated it. I'm just thinking through like how I would have to tackle, you know, expanding my data center back out into the cloud now. Right. So, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and just building on that, uh, it's sort of brings up an interesting point that I probably want to put in there that we're taking a concept and putting it into more and more of the technology. So, you know, if you think of something like SDDC manager, which checks the configs of your SDDC when you deploy it and make sure that it's not too far out of conformance before you do updates and things like that. So that concept's becoming more and more a part of what we do. And John, you had something to add here, I think. Yeah, I just wanted to um, maybe insert kind of a real-world scenario around the the VMware Cloud Architecture Toolkit. So prior to coming to VMware, I spent the, the balance of my career working with and for service providers. And one of the larger product projects uh, I did um, prior to coming here was uh, we rolled out a new implementation of vCloud Director across a few data centers, right? This was a ground-up build. Um, it was it was designed to be scalable, multi-site, address billing, address you know different customer scenarios, and uh, you know to maybe draw a contrast from the reference architectures to the to the the, the VCAT book that that is being referenced, um, you know the the book which we you know we we ended up reading cover to cover a few times during during that project, it it, it gives what you know the reference architectures don't, which is very, very prescriptive guidance and detail and best practices and visibility into, you know, from, from a cloud provider perspective, you have to design your infrastructure. You have to design the service that you're going to deliver to customers for, you know, an unknown number of scenarios and deployment nuances and implementation nuances that a customer is going to bring you, right? Your, your, your customer base is not patterned, right? They're not going to come in with the same, kind of feel and look and requirements. Right. Um, and, and what we found, you know, outside of the architectural guidance and outside of the, um, you know, performance maximums and, and scaling data points is that book provided us with, you know, basically a motto to build these that were flexible enough for us to accept, you know, with very few exceptions, um, any customer into our solution and deliver a service to them that didn't break the infrastructure or the design we had, right? So it really kind of afforded us a good amount of flexibility um, without having to compromise the stability or interoperability of our um, our underlying infrastructure. Yeah, that's awesome. really interesting. 
That's which I'll follow up with. Sorry, David, I'll follow up with one thing, one comment, which is it reminds me of the monster VM uh, character that would float around VM world, uh, where you do have these strange requirements that a good reference architecture has to, you know, decide whether they're going to support or not, right? And like, you know, what's the size? What's the scale? What's the speed? What do customers, what are you expecting customers to come in? And it's like the monster VM, but you know, how big a VM do you actually support in a, 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 a by a cloud provider? How how big a VM does a cloud provider actually support? All that comes into play when you're talking about reference architectures, right? What's the scope of these guys? So that's an interesting point. Thanks for, for sharing that. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, that was great, John. Hey, it was a great plug for Martin's book too. <laughs> so um, you know, so you know, the other thing I'd say about Martin's book, and I mentioned at the beginning, is that uh, even if you're not a, a um, managed service provider, and even if you're not doing a massively huge scale um, project in your own data center. It's a great guide for private cloud. 80% of it is relevant and it covers, you know, it goes into depth on compute, storage, networking, management. So it's a great, it's a great asset, uh, even if you're just doing, you know, a private cloud for your enterprise and it's not massively scalable. Um, those kind of, it doesn't have to be. Of course, you, if you follow the guide, you'll have all the scale you need, but it's uh, a great resource for that. Martin, you've got another project going too, right? Uh, on VMC on AWS that's similar? Yeah, so I'm, I'm effectively rewriting a book that we wrote uh, in early 2019. So VMware Cloud and AWS, of course, is VMware's um, um, preferred model for running vSphere workloads on public cloud. Um, I wrote a book, um, I think it was early 2019, but not, not long after we brought this solution to market in, in 2017, um, which really provided you know, a good deep level of guidance on you know, designing, building, migrating workloads to this platform. So, but since I wrote it, there's been quite a lot of changes, new instant types, new, new networking capabilities, uh, two node configurations, um, lots of other integrations as well. So I'm doing a refresh of this book at the moment. Uh, hopefully by mid-November, it'll be downloadable if you search for it. So it's a modern infrastructure on VMware Cloud and AWS. Um, and it'll be available, of course, as an ebook. Um, we may hopefully print copies if we ever get to uh, meet people again in person. Um, but yeah, initially it'll be available straight away as an ebook. Cool. Hey, John, um, your team's working on some great resources too. Maybe we can chat about that. Yeah, certainly. So, um, largely, we've been talking about the reference architectures from, from a perspective of uh, VMware Cloud and AWS. Um, so as we mentioned in the beginning of our, our, of our chat, right, there's, there's now a slew of um, VMware solutions on our hyperscaler partners clouds, right? So Azure VMware solution, Google Cloud VMware engine, Oracle Cloud VMware solution. Um, so as, as we think about what reference architectures look like going forward, what would be valuable to the community and impactful for our customers? Um, you know, we, we want to continue down the path of creating these for VMC, but now we want to start incorporating um, you know, a, a, a multi-cloud view of these, um, both from, you know, if I'm, if I'm going to have to architect networking across multiple clouds, what does that look like? What are the best practices and considerations I need to take into account, both from a just traditional networking um, construct perspective, but also the, you know, consider the nuances of how each individual hyperscaler partner does their underlying network. Um, so we're, we're, we're looking and we're um, hoping to release a few of these at the end of this uh, quarter for us. 
um, one's around, again, architecting a multi-cloud network. Another one is architecting multi-cloud application mobility. Um, and then architecting an approach to modernizing apps in, you know, name, name your, your, your cloud. Um, so we're going to look to do those uh, both from a overall kind of multi-cloud perspective as a foundation kind of getting started quick start, right? So back to, back to the sequence we talked about before, when we start to introduce these new reference architectures and associated blog posts, we, we want to set a good foundation first. So this initial release will be in, in the quick start uh, space. Building on top of that, we want to get into more of the application modernization specifics relative to multi-cloud and specifics around VMC as our first party service, but then also our hyperscaler partners. So that, that's what we're, we're working on a strategy for now. We're starting to line up what those topics and what those series look like. Um, and again, you know, we're, we're hoping uh, to wrap up a few we have in motion by the end of this month, um, you know, kind of run them through their paces internally for validation um, and, and clean them up and then release them here shortly. The, the thing to note that, you know, we haven't talked about thus far is that when, when we're designing and putting together these, these reference architectures and the documents and the context about why we did it, um, we're, we're not doing these from a purely academic point of view, right? So we're not reading the manual, understanding best practices and constraints, and then building something in theory. Um, so we, we deploy all these solutions as they're being represented in the architecture. We validate functionality, configuration, interoperability, and that's really what drives, um, drives the development of these. So as we get access and we learn more and, and, and we start to build up, uh, a, a library of experiences and customer use cases, we want to translate those into um, meaningful and interesting reference architectures uh, across the breadth of our, our, our cloud solutions. Oh, very good. Very good. Um, so uh, one of the things that I always like to talk about uh, to John and Martin uh, and David, you can jump in too if you want, uh, is uh, what are some of the goals that you're trying to do with the program as you go forward? I know we've talked a lot about what, what you're doing, how you're doing it. Are there any kind of big goals for next year that you guys are thinking uh, how we could, you know, what, what we could do to make it better or some of your favorite pet projects you have. I always like to look forward and think about, you know, what are you guys doing? What are the kind of the big things that uh, you might be able to add uh, in the next year or so? And I know you can't talk too, too much about, you know, confidential things, but uh, could you give us a sense of where you might be going? So I can, I can come in here. Um, you know, when we look at these cloud platforms that we've talked about across, you know, running across, you know, both our traditional VMware cloud partners and also the new hyperscaler models like ABS and GCVE, you know, the key for VMware is to be relevant to our customers and building applications um, across multiple public clouds, leveraging all ranges of technologies, traditional legacy VMs, new new VM builds, and of course, there's still an awful lot of applications being built on virtual machines and even physical machines. Then we move into the container world and, and Kubernetes, and then the PaaS world as well. And what's going to be key for VMware and, our, and what VMware is really able to offer our customers is consistency across this entire world, from both an operational perspective, from an SDK perspective, from an API perspective, having, having a infrastructure, and it doesn't matter where it runs, having an application, and it doesn't matter where it runs, security policies will follow that application. The, 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 the infrastructure will scale 
as required for that application to run. When we build new applications on, on Kubernetes and or using PaaS solutions, the underlying infrastructure will scale as it's required to scale, as those applications need to scale up, maybe for you know specific times of year like Thanksgiving and Christmas, and then scale back after after you know the, the, the early January sales. So having a flexible, consistent infrastructure, no matter what type of application you're running, what your security requirements are, that's really key for VMware. And we're we're way down that road already, but there's always going to be more and more things to add to that portfolio, better integrations, better making things easier to implement and, and making security transparent for our customers. Nice. I know that uh, uh, I'll follow up, David, with, uh, you know, going to VMworld and listening to some of the big talks at VMworld. There were a couple things that stood out for me. Uh, one was I, I got to listen to some security uh, and the security threats and some of the some of the security breaches where they're now getting in and uh, destroying your backups and then requiring you to pay millions of dollars in Bitcoin. This has happened to 10 or 15 major companies across mm -hmm. the globe. So I can imagine that security and the, you know, reference architectures for security and then, you know, you know, paying attention to that and how much of that do you publish? And then the second one I thought was interesting was vGPUs and uh, the whole machine learning and utilization of uh, graphics processors in your data center to do some of the machine learning. thought some of those were there. Were there any other key takeaways for VMworld that, uh, that you thought was, was interesting that you might want to weave into next year as well? Well, Project Monterey, of course, is really interesting. That concept mm. of extending hardware. For a number of years, a lot of people have been saying that hardware is just commodity. I don't know that it is. Maybe one day it will be, but you know, you know, integrating smart NICs, integrating you know, GPUs natively into the vSphere infrastructure to optimize machine learning and artificial intelligence. You know, I think maybe we've still got a lot of, a lot of, future for differentiated hardware. I think that's one of the things that I got out of VMworld this year. I think and the, other, the other thing, you know, I really would like to highlight is, you know, obviously we were completely virtual this year, just like every other tech conference. In future, you know, whether it's next year or whether it's 2022 when we're back in the room together, I'd like to see how we can leverage the best of the virtual world alongside the best of the physical world. And I think that's going to be key, not just for VMware, but for the tech industry, um, you know, throughout the globe. How, you know, there's, now dozens of tech conferences, huge tech conferences, you know, at every, every, at, at every quarter of each year. People just can't keep traveling to these tech conferences continuously. They want to be able to leverage the best of the physical world and the virtual world. So I think it's going to be really interesting how both VMware and other, um, you know, other organizers of these types of conference, conferences address that in future. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, you, one of the big, you know, pieces of value you get from these these conferences is is the community participation the ability to get in front of customers answer questions about what they're trying to do generally with their business but also you know talk about the new announcements right and and it's kind of it's it's good immediate feedback you get when you get to meet with customers in person and i think that's that's going to be you know hard to replicate virtually but i completely agree with martin there there, there needs to be a good mix um, and a good combination of how do we make the most out of everybody's time and investment in these um, so that you know, it has kind of the maximum impact, but you're still, you know, you're, you're, you're still able to deliver the message and have the interactions you need. This, this was supposed to be, well, it, it was my 10th consecutive VM world, but it was the first virtual. So there was a big kind of contrast in, in you know, the ability to 
you know, get to more sessions and consume more information um, was, was pretty great this year round because you didn't have to fight with traffic and times and lines and seats in the conference room or lack thereof. Right. So I, I, I as a, you know, I, I'm, I'm a VMware employee, but for VMworld, I'm also, I'm a participant, right? I'm also trying to learn. And, and it was really, really kind of great to, to be able to consume on my own time after meetings and customer interactions were done, but generally have, you know, have kind of a, a body of information to pull from um, so that I kind of got the maximum value out of it. Yeah. I th yeah. I thought uh, VMworld, uh, I was actually not sure what to expect, but I thought it came out well. I thought uh, they did a super job uh, turning that into a virtual event and uh, you know, the, the show's over, but uh, there's, you know, the catalog is still alive for the breakout session. So, you know, if people didn't go and they want to go see that they still can register and get access to some, I think 700 sessions or something like that. So, you know, cer certainly something people can still take advantage of. It was, I thought it was an awesome, awesome show. I got two comments for, for Martin's original uh, comments, right? Which is a uh, hardware is King. I couldn't agree more. I'm a big hardware fan. I love hardware. I, I think I'm just going to create a blog called hardware is King. You know, I remember, I'm remind me when you see this, I think that's going to be my 2022 project. Our, it's just our hardware, hardware is back. Hardware is king. <laughs> like it's never been gone. Uh, we've just abstracted it away, but the reality is it's, it's, it's awesome. The second comment for me, and I think you're, you're, it's interesting, is that uh, if I have, I, I think I want to go for five years where I don't turn Zoom on ever again, right? Like I think I'm just going to go places, meet people, and I am just so Zoomed out that I don't, I don't want to learn anything on my computer anymore. I think I need to, I need to, I'd rather have a Braille book than try to learn more on on a zoom call i am so zoomed out but i so i did i i think i've been to 20 now vm worlds and uh, i thought we did a great job with this one given the circumstances but i also missed you know the community booth the community theater community sessions sessions meeting people running around uh being jet lagged at, at VMworld europe all that good happy stuff like so uh, i can't wait to yep. see everybody again yeah, I thought they did a good job, but uh, I definitely think uh, the face-to-face -face is awesome too. Yeah. So David, I think we're, uh, we're at the top of the hour here, pretty close to it. Uh, any final things from Martin or John we want to cover? Uh, I don't know if they're on Twitter. We usually do a shout out to people so that if they, if they do have Twitter, we can, uh, people can connect to them. Yeah, I'm sitting on Twitter, Hoskin, M-H-O-S-K-E-N-M on Twitter and you know by all means follow me there or look me up on LinkedIn it's always good to have a have a good community and I'm really I'm really enthusiastic about that and it's one of the best things about VMware is the community yeah um, LinkedIn and Twitter for me as well uh, at JJ Maroney uh, on Twitter it's JJ M-A-R-O-R-M-A-R-R-O-N-E that's right. correct yep. okay. perfect all right, David, uh, do we want to wrap up? Anything else you yep. want to cover? No, I think it was great having you guys. Thanks for coming, and uh, thanks for giving us uh, some insights onto, into what VMware is doing around reference architectures. Yeah, great show. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you.